please join me as I pray. Father, we do come, and, and I want us to make that our prayer today. Oh, breathe on me, O oh, breath of God. Fill me with life anew. Father, we need that today. You are merciful and gracious. You know what we brought in today. We, you know the places that we long for you to meet us today. And so, Holy Spirit, would you come breathe on us afresh now. Come, Holy Spirit. Come move, open our hearts to receive your word, to receive your truth. And through your spirit, may we be transformed more and more into your likeness. We bless you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, today is Christ the King Sunday, and it's the last Sunday in our liturgical calendar. Next Sunday marks the beginning of a new year for us uh, with Advent, and I'll say more about that uh, next Sunday. But on Christ the King Sunday, we remember that Jesus is King, that He's King ruling right now, and He is King who will rule for all eternity. And friends, we need to know that today, especially in the chaos that goes on in our lives. We could all probably name it, name different seasons we go through, but we also see the chaos going on around the world with wars, uh, strife, all kinds of things. And what we need to know is that there is a king, and his name is Jesus, and he is ruling from his throne, and he rules over everything today. And there will be a day when he comes back, and that's the hope that we have, that one day Jesus is going to come back and bring all the craziness around us into order, and there will be shalom, amen? There will be peace. What we're going to do this morning is the readings on this last Sunday of the year, this Christ the King Sunday, they reflect the return of Jesus and what that return will mean for all people. In Matthew 25, verses 46, uh, 31 to 46, that was read just a moment ago, Jesus is wrapping up a section in Matthew's gospel as he records it uh, of Jesus' teaching and his final return and what that means for all humanity. And one of the questions, if you read that, that section, uh, one of the questions that pops out is this, will you be ready for his return? Will you be ready when Christ the King comes back? The reality is this, every one of us is going to be called to account in that day when Christ returns on how we've lived our lives. You see, the way we live our lives gives evidence that one is either a follower of Jesus or not. It's not just about what we proclaim with our lips, because a lot of people can proclaim with their lips, Jesus is Lord. But is there evidence in our lives? Is there evidence in our lives that show we really are the Lord's? And that's what Jesus is getting at in the passage we're going to look at this morning. In this passage, Jesus is describing how one day all the nations, all people will be brought before his throne, and he will separate individuals one from another, some on his right and some on his left. And every human being that's lived will stand before the God. And the reality, friends, is there's no middle ground. There's no section in there for ones who were good-intentioned or well-intentioned. You're either on the side of Jesus or you're not. And he describes this with a picture of sheep and goats separating them. Now, the original audience in Jesus' day would have understood this because shepherds in the ancient Near East would have sheep and goat grazing together during the day. And in the evening, they would put the goats in one pasture and separating the sheep from another. 
Now, what will distinguish the sheeps from the goats? I don't know if you've ever seen them together. Most of you probably haven't. But if you were to put sheep and goat together, it's very difficult to tell them apart. There's really one factor that distinguishes them. Do you know what it is? It's their tails. For goats, their tails stick up and sheep tails hang down. That's the main difference. But you think about it, on that day when Jesus comes, humanly speaking, if we were to see one another, we would wonder, how is he making the distinction of who's on his right and who's on his left? Who's in with the kingdom of God for eternity and who is not? And humanly speaking, it's hard for us to tell, but Jesus gives evidence here that he knows exactly who. So what does that evidence look like? What is the evidence of one being a true follower of Jesus as opposed to one who is not? Well, if you were with us this fall, we finished up a a section going through John's first epistle, 1 John. And in there, John names three marks of a true follower of Christ, a true Christian. The first mark is faith, having right belief about God. Remember, the second one is obedience, that a true follower of Christ is going to want their lives reordered around the life of Jesus, and we're going to want to obey and follow His ways because we know His ways bring life. The third one is love, and that's a bit what Jesus is getting out in this section that we're looking at today. See, one of the evidences that shows that one is a true disciple of Jesus is the way that we love other followers of Christ, that we love our brothers and sisters in Christ, and in particular, how we care for those who have needs around us, who are Christians. Let me read this section again, Matthew 25, starting at verse 35. Jesus is speaking, and he's saying, "'For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink.'" I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will say, will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king, who is Christ, will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did to me. Jesus mentions his brothers. He's not talking about his literal brothers. He had many of them. He's talking about his brothers, the church, followers of Christ, brothers and sisters of his, all in the fellowship who are followers of Christ. And what he's saying here is this, our love and care for other followers of Christ is evidence for our love for Jesus. You see that? In verse 37, I love their response. Let me read it again. The righteous will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? And go on and on. They didn't even know they were doing it. What I love about this, it was just natural for them. It was, in a sense, second nature. It was a natural part of the rhythm of their lives. And here's why. When we receive Christ as Savior and Lord, our lives begin to be transformed more and more into His image. Paul speaks about it in this way, that we are in Christ, that we're in Christ. The Lord literally lives in us by the power and presence of His Holy Spirit. And so we're changed from the inside out. And as a result of being in Christ, we have the mind of Christ. We have the heart of Christ. We have the eyes of Christ. We have the hands and the feet of Christ. We have the ears of Christ. So when we see others in our midst in need, because we're in Christ, because we have the mind of Christ in His heart, 
We can't help but care for those needs. We can't help but step in when someone else is in trouble or sick or in need, whatever it might be, and step in to meet those needs. You see, because Jesus has lavished his love on us, friends, it is this love that's poured into us as we recognize what he's done for us on the cross. That as, we, as we're followers of Christ, we can't help but let that love spill out from us. And it first comes to those who are in need in the body of Christ. One of the things we need to see here before I go on is this. What Jesus is specifically talking about in this passage is our care for one another who are followers of Jesus. There are other passages in scriptures that speak for sure that we're to care for the needs of those who are not followers of Christ. When we see somebody in need, when we see someone hurting, we are to go and care for their needs as well. But what Jesus is saying here is first, we are to care and meet for the need, meet the needs of one another. Paul writes this in Galatians 6 verse 10. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially those who are in the household of faith. Friends, we're to bring the light and love of Christ to everyone. But Paul says, especially those brothers and sisters, the family of Christ. Don Carson, a great theologian, put it this way in this passage, true disciples will pass an examination not because they're trying to pass an examination, but because they will love his or her brothers and sisters and therefore Jesus. Goats, on the other hand, will fail because, of course, they will not particularly care for Jesus' brothers and sisters, and thus rejecting the Messiah himself. As Saul was persecuting Christians, he was actually persecuting Christ. What we do for one another is actually showing our love for Christ. That's a mark of a true follower of Jesus. I want to say this, a true follower of Jesus, our lives are going to look different, not perfect. We're still this side of heaven. We still wrestle and struggle with sin every single day. doesn't give us an excuse. But our lives are to look different as we grow in holiness, as we grow in godliness, as Christ is being formed more and more in our lives. The question we need to think about is this. Is my confessional theology being displayed through my practical theology? Is my confessional theology, what I say I believe, is that being displayed by the actions of my life? You see, a follower of Jesus is going to look different. We're going to care for one another in ways that this world doesn't know how to care for others. But we're going to do it because Christ is in us. If your life doesn't look different, then we ought to ask these questions. Do I really believe Am I really living what I say I believe? Am I living what I confess with my lips? You see, a true follower of Jesus isn't just going to confess Jesus as Lord. There's going to be evidence through our lives that He is Lord by the way we love one another. That's so clear of what Jesus is saying here. But look what He says about the others, the goats, if you will, those who are not His followers. Verses 41 through 46. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil by his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger 
or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer to them, Truly I say to you, as you did not do to one of the least of these, you did not do to me. Someone who's not a follower of Christ is not going to love other believers, other followers of Christ. And as a result, they're not loving Jesus. You can't love others if you're not loving Christ first. One of the things I need to say in all of this is that our tendency is to read a passage like this and begin to think, gosh, am I doing enough? Or maybe you're thinking, I'm not doing enough. Our tendency is to twist a passage like this And we miss the point if we think it's all about doing good things to earn salvation. That's not what Jesus is saying here at all. It's not about doing good things to earn salvation. God's Word tells us salvation is by grace through faith alone. It is a gift. It is a gift. And Jesus names that here in verse 34. He talks about those who will be on His right. He says, come and inherit the kingdom prepared for you. Think about an inheritance for a moment. Do you earn an inheritance? No. (laughs) An inheritance is a gift given to you. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. But it's a gift that is given to you. That's the reality of salvation. We don't merit it by works. It's a gift. But one of the things we do realize is this. Our outward display of love toward one another is evidence that one is saved by grace. You see that? It's not about doing works to earn favor, but works are an evidence of one who's been saved by grace. What a person does inevitably inevitably reveals who he is. What a person does inevitably inevitably (laughs) reveals who they are. You see, in this latter part of the passage, Jesus is denouncing many of the religious leaders of his day. They were doing religious activity, but the reality is their hearts were far from God. There was no evidence of their love for one another. They didn't love those who were gods. They didn't care for the sick, the needy among them. Their hearts weren't transformed by God's grace. But as followers of Jesus, our hearts are different, and our lives look different. I think about St. Andrew's, and I think this is an amazing church where so many in this body live this out so beautifully. As I was reading it, I was thinking about you all this morning, just so grateful to be a part of a place where people are literally living this out, giving their lives away for others around them. When I think about different ones, one person comes to mind. They're not at this church, but they come every now and then, and that person's my mother. When I think about somebody living this passage out, I think about the the evidence that she gives. One of the things that I do when, when there's someone from St. Andrews who goes to Houston to MD Anderson for medical treatment at the cancer center there, I always call my mom. She lives in Houston. I say, Mom, so-and-so's coming down. She goes, great, I got it. She, I cannot tell you how many times she has sat with people in the, in the waiting room while their family members have been in surgery. Or she'll call if someone's there for an extended time saying, okay, I'm going to make you some home-cooked meals and I'm going to bring them. Those of you that she's ministered to, you know that probably one of the favorite things she makes is called Diddy Cookies, the special recipe. She doesn't give it to us, though, (laughs) but they're amazing. But that's her way. That's her stepping in. I name that to say this. Our acts of love and care for one another, it's not about the big grand things that are seen by others. It's not about doing something huge out there. Friends, it's the little 
ordinary things in life where we just step out and we see a need and we come alongside in the love of Christ and meet that need. The question is this, do you see the needs of those around you? Do you hear the needs of those around you? You see, we can't care for them if we don't see them. We can't care for one another if we're not hearing the needs around us. And this is challenging, and I put myself in this category. For some of us, this is hard because we live such busy lives. We are on the go so much that we don't slow down to see the needs of others like we ought to. The challenge, I believe, that Jesus is bringing us in here is to stop and ask the, ask the Lord these questions. Where are there needs that I'm not seeing? Are there areas in my life, things that I'm giving my life to, the affections of my heart to, that need to be reordered so that I can slow down and see those around me who have need, that I can have the capacity to step in and meet when there is a need? Maybe our prayer needs to be this simple prayer. God, give me eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to give. What if we begin to pray that? God, give me eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to give. Or as we sang during the gospel hymn, I love these words, breathe on me, O breath of God, fill me with life anew, that I may love the things you love and do what you would do. Friends, we can't do this on our own. It's not natural for us. But as people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, the very presence of the living God in us, friends, we can go out and truly bring the very presence of Jesus to those in our body in need and care deeply for one another. Think about this on Sunday mornings. Look and listen. Who do we pray for in the prayers of the people? We're going to do that in just a moment. Who do we pray for? Do you know any of them? Who do you not see this morning that you could give a call to when you go home? Say, I didn't see you. How are you? Is there anything I can do for you? Who did you see this morning and talk to? And you say, how are you? I'm fine. We say that, but you see the weight on their shoulders and you know they're really not fine. That you can follow up with a phone call later. Maybe a note. Hey, I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. Friends, do you see how easy? It's the little things. It's the little things, not the big grand things. But a phone call to one who's sick, taking a meal to someone who's going through a hard time, writing a note of encouragement. Maybe it's paying someone's mortgage or rent when they're going through financial difficulty. It's things like that that we care for one another. And I will say, as I said it a moment ago, this church does an amazing job of it. One of the things I would encourage you to do is this. If you have any, let us know. Jesse Smith does an amazing job hearing needs around our body and then sending emails out so that people can see how to step in and care for one another. You may not want your need broadcast to everybody, but call one of us on staff so that we can see and see how we can step in and love and care for you. This is what it means to be the body of Christ. In this season of Advent, as Christmas approaches, Friends, it's a hard time for a lot of people. As the song goes, it's the most wonderful time of the year. And for many, yes, it is. But also the reality is it's a really difficult time of the year for some. Have eyes to see, ears to hear, and step in how you can come alongside those in need. I want to finish with this quote from Paul Tripp. He says it so beautifully. 
God knows that in ourselves we are not up to the task He calls us to, but He never makes a false assignment. (laughs) When He sends us, we're sent as instruments in His almighty hands. He never calls us to do what we cannot accomplish in Him, but He always calls us to do what we could never accomplish without Him. He supplies what we need, friends. That's why we make our prayer, breathe on me, O breath of God. Fill me anew with your Holy Spirit so that I can bring your life-giving grace and presence to those around us. And friends, the beauty in living this way as we care for one another here, that can't help but spill out to those who aren't here, to those who don't know the Lord. As they see us loving and caring for one another and we begin to love and care for them, friends, people are going to come and see that Christ is King and they will worship Him and find their lives renewed. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, I thank You that that You shoot straight with us. (laughs) You give us challenging words that we need to hear, but they are words of grace and truth that transform us so that we can be Your very presence in this world today. Lord, challenge us awaken us, move us to see, to hear, to care so that we can bring your presence in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.